0: We want to pick up right where we left off last week. And in just to remind you what it is we, we talked about last week is that Judges almost has two introductions. In fact, we, we remember we saw with Joshua, there's overlap chronologically. And that's because the way it's set up is Judges chapter 1 gives you a, a, a survey of what happened. Um, Joshua has died, and there's still some land that they have to take possession of. And, and part of taking possession is to clear the land of idolatry. Uh, and that doesn't mean you kill every man, woman, or child. It means you get rid of the idolatry. And you, you know, one of the ways they do this through warfare, yes. But, but you've got to cleanse the land of false gods. And in chapter 1, we saw they didn't do that. And we saw some hints why that was, but they didn't do that. And in some cases, they just moved in next door to the Canaanites they couldn't defeat. In other cases, they enslaved them. Uh, which is not what the Jews are supposed to do. And often they carried out their campaigns, the military campaigns, uh, not the way that God asked them to do it, but rather as the Canaanites does. Remember the, uh, the mutilation of Adonai Bezek. Um, and that is a very Canaanite thing to do, not a Hebrew thing to do. So if chapter 1 is the what, chapter 2 is the why. Uh, why are we seeing decline of the nation of Israel? And what we saw last week was... Um, a change of generations that one generation believes the gospel, next generation assumes the gospel, the third generation forgets the gospel. And, and we pick up right from that narrative uh, starting there. So uh, just, just to remind you, uh, you get warning. Uh, this is from the angel of the Lord say, hey, you know, you need to know this is a problem. Get rid of these idols. Uh, and then we get their act of disobedience. And so what we get starting in verse 10, going to the end of the chapter, uh, I didn't spend too much time on these titles, is coming up next. So uh, before you had streaming services, uh, if you wanted to watch a show, you had to uh, arrange your schedule around that show. You remember, you remember those dark days. Um, and, uh, and that's why a lot of your shows – um, you didn't have to watch them in sequential order to know what's happening. They weren't really connected. Uh, shows like Lost, Twenty Four, Prison Break, and, and others changed that. So if you missed one episode, it's sort of like math class. You miss you miss one class, you're you're weeks behind, and that's what those shows became. Well, you can do that in the age of streaming, where you can watch it at your own pace. Um, so what you had before, when you you wanted people to tune in seven o'clock on Thursdays, is you would end it with. Coming up next, you get a little preview. That's what you're getting here in verses 10 to 22, is what we read here, you're going to see over and over and over again. Uh, so, so basically, uh, this is a trailer that, that spoils the movie plot, okay? which is a problem now. If a trailer is more than two minutes, it's going to ruin the movie. Uh, if the trailers put out by Warner Brothers or Disney, they're probably going to ruin the movie too, but that's neither here nor there. So what, what are we to expect? Let's start back in verse 10 where we left off because this is, this is the hinge pin of, of chapter two. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And then we go down to verse 11. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals or Baals. In Hebrew, you pronounce every, every vow. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods, and from among the gods of the peoples who were around them, and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and Ashtoreth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them, and he sowed them into the hand of their surrounding enemies, so that they could no longer withstand their enemies." Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned, and the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. That's a huge summary of what you're going to get uh, in the book of Judges. Um, In fact, we've already seen hints of this in the opening uh, 9 or 10 verses. So to summarize, uh, verses 10 to 22 is the pattern we get in Judges. In fact, uh, I didn't put the, uh, the little logo I have for the series up. But uh, on the series, it has uh, disobedience, followed by disciplined, followed by deliverance. That's the story of Judges. Israel disobeys, God disciplines them, and then when they call out in repentance, he delivers them. A next generation comes, and they uh, disobey, and God disciplines them, and then he delivers them. Now, we see here, verses 10 and 11, uh, the, the process of apostasy. And this is the act of disobedience. Notice in verse 10, it says that they forgot. So uh, there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for them. Now notice here, the word know isn't just knowledge, it's intimacy. So, so it's one thing to say, that you know something. It's another thing to say that you know something. So, so your spouse, you knew them before you got married. You know them now. And, 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 and that's the difference. Maybe they grew up hearing the stories about Egypt, but they didn't really know that God had truly redeemed them and what that meant practically about it. Um, the same thing is repeated. Um, uh, 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 well, now I can't find it. Um, we'll come across it. Um, anyways, uh, that, they, that they, they, they forgot that the Lord had delivered them. Um, yeah, okay, it's hinted at in verse 12. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. The point here is that that's the fundamental story they forgot. They forgot that God is the redeeming God. The God that they would not be in Israel, they would be slaves in Egypt had God not redeemed them. So they took that act of redemption for granted. Um, now, uh, what we also see in the Bible to address this issue of forgetfulness, which tells us pe- that believers have a tendency to forget. So, what you'll find in the Bible are these scenes set up to help the people of God remember the works of God. Let me give you just two examples. Uh, one is uh, uh, these, when Joshua led Israel across the uh, Jordan River, you remember that the river dried up similar to the Red Sea? You remember what, what, what Joshua then ordered? Get these giant 12 stones and, and set them up so that when your sons and grandsons come by, and they say, hey, Dad, what's with these 12 giant stones set up? You say, well, this is the mark, of the work the Lord did for Israel. Uh, and if you read the Old Testament, you see these markings all the time. Um, when uh, Moses made the bronze uh, staff with the serpent on it. He kept that. Now, it eventually got turned into an idol and they had to destroy it. But I suspect they kept it as a memorial so that people remember of God delivering their ancestors through through the wilderness. Um, And Jesus makes reference to it in John 3. A New Testament example of this is the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is set to remind us of who we are in Christ. In fact, Part of the ritual is, do this in remembrance of me. In fact, is that, is, is, I'm sure that's on the table. Do it in remembrance of us. The point of the Lord's Supper, uh, in contrary to Catholic theology, is not that, we, that Christ is crucified again, and thus we get merit from the saints or anything like that. The point is for us to remind ourselves that we are here on the basis of Christ's death and resurrection. We've entered into a new covenant, and, and, and th- this is why we practice it to this day. Baptism is sort of like that, but the Lord's Supper is certainly for that. And, and Luther had a great line. I've shared it before, Martin Luther, that um, every week he preaches justification because every week my people forget it. <laughs> I actually think that's really helpful um, uh, that, that we as a church have one message, and we have to preach that one message because we keep forgetting the one message. Um, and... And we see that here, that when the people of Israel forget what the Lord had done, they abandon the Lord. And, and when you forget the Lord, you turn to evil. Verse 11, um, Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. Or Baals. Um, this phrase is found all over the book of Judges. These are the ones I could find. And they all read basically the same way. The people did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. people did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. people did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Um, And so you see the pattern of apostasy is forgetfulness, uh, abandonment, and then the practicing of evil. And Israel is following this. That word Baal or Baal, again, in Hebrew, you you pronounce every little letter. We don't do that in English. We have phantom letters in English. So that's why we pronounce comb rather than comb. That B is just sticking there. Now the problem with English is it's, it's influenced by a lot of other languages, Old English, German, uh, French, Latin, uh, Greek. Um, and so you mix all those rules together and you get English. So it's a mess of a language. Um, you don't get that in Hebrew, such an old language. So the Hebrew is Baal, but we usually say Baal. You do, you do whatever floats your boat. You, know, you follow your heart, okay? We won't judge here. Um, But the word Baal means Lord. So they've exchanged the proper worship of the Lord for the improper worship of the Lord's. Uh, In fact, notice that Baal there is in plural. The Lord's, the God's. And Baal worship becomes a primary temptation for Israel in the promised land. So you get this act of disobedience, um, verses 10 through 11. And this leads to what we read, and that is God's discipline. Um, so we see that they abandoned the Lord. Um, and, um, and so when the Israel abandoned the Lord, they choose to, instead of being a light to the nations, let the nations be a light unto them. This is the problem, is that Israel was to be a holy people set apart. So basically what you have in, in Jewish thought is you have the nations, they're all, they all look the same. And then you have Israel, who looks very different. Either Israel will influence the nations, or the nations will influence Israel. And when they walk into the promised land and they refuse to get rid of the idols, they have set themselves up by compromise to allow the nations to influence them. And as a result, that light gets dimmer and dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. And so they abandon the Lord, and of course, they don't stop worshiping. They just worship what is false. That's important for us to remember. One of the greatest lies we've convinced ourselves is there is such a thing called a secular society. Secularism is a myth. We've convinced ourselves that we can build a society without God. Um, I I think it was G.K. Chesterton had a good line that people, when you take out God, people don't stop believing They start believing in everything. And if you look at America, we are believing in a lot of nonsense that makes absolutely no sense. But if you take actually what we prioritize, power, sex, wealth, those things, and we can attach pagan gods to them. At least the pagans were openly honest saying, yeah, we worship the God of sex because we want our crops to grow. They were open and honest, (laughs) you know? we are, are more subtle about it. We won't call it worship, but if you dare contradict my gods, I will come down and destroy your business, you bigot. Right? It's the same thing. Um, and, and so Israel has abandoned the worship of the Lord for the lords. Um, now, verse 13 mentions Ashtaroth. Um, this was uh, a widely worshipped ancient or eastern deity. It goes by actually a different name, but um, Ashtaroth in, in the Hebrew, that's fine. Uh, she is the goddess of love and in some cases, the goddess of war. There's a joke in there somewhere. Um, now, there are parallel deities, Ishtar and Mesopotamia. Uh, in the Greco-Roman religion, she's Aphrodite or Venus. Um, and so... Uh, That's why I say that you have Hebrew religion of monotheism, and then you have the pagan religions of the Gentiles. They have the same overlap. If you ever study the Roman world, the Romans took Greek religion and gave them Roman names. Um, And then when later you get the Vikings, they have the same characters, (laughs) just different names. So You have the god of the moon, the god of the sun, the god of the rains, the god of agriculture, the god of... Of, of love, the God of war, the God of the sea, the God of the land, the God of the sky, God of the thunder. Right? they're all the same. Their mythology may be slightly different, but it's all the same. The means of worship is basically the same. And, um, and so here the, the two you, you have predominantly are Baal and Ashtaroth. These are the gods that Elijah are going to confront in the days of Ahab and Jezebel. They just never get rid of them. So you get, they forget, they abandoned, and that that leads to God's anger. In judgment, God hands them over to the nations they have become. Now this is irony. On the one hand, they were the same as the Canaanites. On the other hand, they are still the enemies of the the Canaanites. This is the problem with idolatry. It is rooted in a fundamental lie that if you follow after these gods, They'll give you the desires of your hearts, but you will always be their enemy. Always. And so you have Israel who look like the Canaanites. For one, they're they're Semitic, they look just like the Canaanites. But in reality, they're still their enemies. Compromise does not lead to peace when it comes to theology. So a lot of good those gods did. And I love this God gave them over to plunderers. It's verse 14. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. He gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. That's weird English. But in Hebrew, the repetition is for emphasis. They're going to have nothing. These gods they've worshipped are going to come in and take everything from them. And they're going to be plundered. Um, Now, it's interesting is that Baal and Ashtoreth were fertility and agricultural deities. So the gods they trusted who would give them abundance will actually be their thieves. It's just really good good writing. Um, and so God will send them into slavery, which is, again, irony because idolatry that we saw earlier in chapter one, uh, that they will be a snare to them, that idolatry is a form of slavery. If you don't believe me, go to a college campus right now or some inner city. Go downtown of New York, San Francisco, whatever, and say something like, Gender is a myth. Say that. Life begins at conception and should be protected regardless of the context of of the embryo. Say something like that. Say something like homosexuality is a sin. And you tell me if you see people who are free or enslaved. Idolatry enslaves because idolatry feeds our sin nature. And Jesus says that Uh, Those who give in to sin are slaves to sin. And so the irony here is that by choosing idolatry, you're choosing yourself slavery. So I'll just give you what you want. You want to be a slave? I'll make you a slave of of those nations. That's the irony of it. Idolatry, we often choose thinking we'll be free. Greed, lust, power, influence. We become slaves to those things because you'll never have a—lust is never enough. Greed is never enough. Power is never enough. If you become a slave to those things you desire. When Christ comes, we find contentment, peace, love, and fulfillment, joy, freedom, real freedom. Um, um, and, and we get the same thing in Romans 1 where God gives us up to the desires of our flesh by which we, we become slaves. Um, and then verse 16 uh, is the language of uh, deliverance. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. So that's, that's the story of the judges. This is Othniel, the Shamgar, Deborah and Barak, Samson, Gideon, all of them. Verse 17, they did not listen to their judges, for they uh, went after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. "'Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, "'the Lord was with the judge, "'and he saved them from the hand of their enemies "'all the days of the judge. "'For Yahweh the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning "'because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. "'But whenever the judge died, "'they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers. "'Going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them, "'they did not drop any of their practices "'or their stubborn ways. "'So the angel of the Lord was kindled against Israel, "'and he said, "'Because this people have transgressed my covenant "'that I have commanded their fathers "'and have not obeyed my voice,' I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them, whether they take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. As so the Lord left those nations, not driving them out quickly, he did not give them into the hands of Joshua. It's interesting, there's a reference to Joshua, but Joshua's dead. Yeah. So here we see God's anger and God's grace all mixed together. In anger, he disciplines them. But in grace, he delivers them. And what is the response to grace? Disobedience, which leads to God's anger of disobedience, which leads to um, a deliverance. Um, but what we see here is that God keeps his covenant even though Israel doesn't keep theirs. This is why salvation has to be a one-way street. Salvation is us drowning at the bottom of the ocean and God rescues us. It is not us trying to hold water with our hands up, hoping God finds us. It is not a halfway street. God has to come down and rescue us because it is, the natural way of man is rebellion. God has to redeem us. And this is why you see humanity and judges going down, farther down, down rebellion. God has to constantly redeem. God constantly has to deliver and save. In fact, that word saved is used there in, um, it verse, it verse 17? Where's it? Verse sixteen. I think it's verse seventeen, for what I remember. I think my notes are wrong here. Um, They raised. Oh, who saved them? Seem like I remember seeing it. Yeah, it's also in verse eighteen. I knew it was on the right side of my Bible, the right page. So they're in verse sixteen and verse eighteen. So my notes are right and wrong at the same time. Um, That word "saved" is interesting. Um, who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Verse 18, he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. What an interesting word. The first time this word is used in the Bible is in the book of Exodus. It's Exodus chapter two, and this is when Moses has fled Egypt and he goes to uh, 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 protect the, the sheep, right? So the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved the sheep. He saved them. Uh, and, and uh, watered their flock. This story is very similar to Isaac. You remember Isaac, uh, he's fleeing from Jacob and Esau, and he goes into, in, in and he comes to the well, and there's all the shepherds, and he's talking to them, and then the girl of his dreams walks up. And you remember that they're all supposed to move the rock together, and Isaac is trying to impress Rachel uh, or Rebecca, and so he moves the rock all by himself, you know, as men try to do to impress their, their, their girl. Uh, well, Moses, it's basically a retelling of that story. He's like a new Isaac. And the word is saved. The second time this word is used is seven chapters later. It is uh, in, in, in regarding the, the Red Sea. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the sea, sea shore. So what you're getting in Exodus is the story of Moses becomes the story of, of, of Israel. So Moses has to flee from Egypt into Midian. Because he he tried to deliver Israel by himself, but in judgment, he has to flee. And then he comes back to deliver Israel, by which they will follow the same road. And they end up at Mount Sinai, where Jethro was, the Midianites. And so just as God saved Moses, if you will, so too God will save Israel. And the word save here is the idea of deliverance. God will come down and do the impossible. Uh, He will deliver them. And so the writer of of Judges is picking up on that language, that what God will do through the Judges is repeat the story of the Exodus. So Othniel and Shamgar and Samson and Gideon and all these, these, these people, these Judges are like Moses. The people of Israel go into captivity. They go into slavery, and they cry out like the ancient Israelites did. God has pity on them and so he sends to them a deliverer by which he saves them and what happens is years later they're back into a type of slavery so they cry out in deliverance the book of judges is exodus on repeat it's a broken record what does that tell you about humanity we have a tendency to forget the works of God but instead of abandoning us the way God the way we've abandoned God he delivers us all over again now, this is why we need a final redeemer, one who redeems us forever and always. And, of course, we get that in, in, in Jesus. Um, now, verse 17 uses a strong word. I don't like to use this word, so I'm going to use the word harlot. You, you probably noticed if you, yes, if you I skipped over it. I just don't like using that word. I know it's in our Bible. I just don't like using it. Um, but uh, they did not listen to their judges, for they... Harloted their, their after other gods. They went after other gods about down to them. This is an interesting word here um, in, in a way it fits in the context. Israel wants two things simultaneously. They want to be a wife. They want to be a harlot. Now, I think once you see this, you'll never unsee it because we do the same thing. Being a wife comes with certain benefits. Covenantal love, honor, protection. But while they want the benefits of marriage, they want the freedom and independence of harlotry. So, so, so they want from God the good stuff, but they want to take from others and be used by others these other things. Doesn't this sound familiar? <laughs> we do this all the time. How many people, they want a foot in the church door, I love Jesus, I went to, to be vacation Bible school, I got baptized after Sunday school, yeah. But they got that foot right over here. And what you want is to pick the benefits. I want the liberty to, 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 to give into my slavery, but I want to claim that I'm actually a faithful, loyal wife. We all want to have an open relationship with Jesus, this is basically what I'm trying to say. And, and Israel's doing that. But in the Bible, idolatry is equated with adultery. And there is a story in the Bible that illustrates that better than anything. And that, of course, is the book of Hosea. Where God tells Hosea, you see the harlot over there, go marry her. And he marries her. And he has two kids with her. And what does she do? She she betrays the covenant of marriage in favor of harlotry. And eventually, she gets so deep into it, she becomes a slave. He's trafficked it. Hosea has to sell everything he owns and purchase his wife. And when he does, he says, that basically, I've, I've bought you. You're, you're mine. Um, but in, in that is real freedom. And he says, all I ask is, you don't go after other men. Be content with me. Well, that's grace. Remember, redemption is, is the purchasing of a slave to set them free. That's what Hosea had to do for his wife. And that's what God is having to do over and over again until eventually he says judges and kings and prophets won't do. What I need is for my son to do it for me. And so he sends his son to do all this for us. Um, Well, uh, verse 18, I'm doing this uh, because I was asked, Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge. I bet that's what it was, Kent, the word saved. He raised up judges and he saved them. No. That's not it? It was, my translation says, save them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. Okay. And so Jesus mm-hmm. is still alive. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's why I was going to go. So, so the answer to the judge dilemma is resurrection. Mm-hmm. So long as you have the judge, and obviously Jesus is true and better judge, um, you, you have deliverance. Yeah, that's what it is. I didn't see you're right we get to Jesus we get the every, every page we get to Jesus that's right that's right because you mentioned like, like I couldn't tell you what verse 18 said <laughs> but now I'm looking at it yep yeah that's good that you're looking for that and we should always do that read the Bible what does this have to do with Jesus um, well I do want to point out one last thing verse 19 suggests that each generation is worse off than the other generation that rebelled that's a problem in fact, here's here's a really good connection with Jesus. Why we need a, a true and better judge. Each judge gets progressively worse. Compare Othniel, or even Deborah, with Samson, or Jephthah. Jephthah makes a Canaanite vow, ends up with the death of his daughter. Um, I mean, those guys are bad. Yeah, yeah, I don't. Because they're uncomfortable with it, for the same reason they don't like to say Esther slept with the king before they got married. Right. It's what we're doing is we're bringing uh, 20th and 21st century American fundamentalism into the Bible. Yeah, of course, the problem isn't that he kept the vow, but he made the vow. Right. Yeah. Uh, you, you don't test God. I've told some people when they get married, they just say, I do, and just keep their mouth shut, because they're going to be tested on everything else. Yeah. <laughs> more than yeah. Uh, <laughs> that sort of vow is common in pagan religions. In fact, you hear people do it now. God, if you'll do this, I promise, you know, whatever. We we do it now. It's a very pagan way of of, of, of living, and and it reveals that here God raises up a deliverer who has such an elementary understanding of his God, he confuses Yahweh with Baal. Um, and, and, but that's what you got in Israel. Uh, now with that context, put the book of Ruth in there. You got a guy like Boaz, man of honor and integrity, you know. Oh, there's another example. We don't like Jephthah fulfilling the vow. We don't like Esther sleeping with the king. We don't like the idea of Ruth uncovering the feet of Boaz in chapter three. You can Google, well, don't Google that. You can look up in a commentary about what's meant by that. We're just uncomfortable because we, 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 we want our characters to be perfect, but the Bible allows biblical characters to be imperfect so that we can better see the, the perfection of Jesus more clearly. That was true. Yeah, and he was scared. But you remember, you remember what Boaz does there? Yeah, he said, go home. We expect the Midianite to be more holy than the Jews in the story of Ruth. We're not critical of... See, now you guys got me distracted. In the story of Ruth, Elimelech, Maul, and Achillean, right? They all leave to go to Midian. They leave the house of bread, Bethlehem, because there's no food, no bread in the house of bread. So they go to Midianites, and they marry foreign women. Moabites, uh, Moabites yeah, forgive me. Moabites, Okay. Uh, who are descendants from Lot. All right, that's messed up. Um, so there, now we don't say a lot of critical things of them. They're the ones, the people of God, who are abandoning God. Then we get all upset when the Moabitess comes in and does something we expect the Moabitess to do. What, what is different is that Boaz is better than Elimelech. mother in law told her to do, though. Yeah, and that's did. You just. Yes, yes. The people in the Bible are broken, they're sinners. It is Boaz, who is, the, who, is, who is the kinsman redeemer, says, stop right there. If we're going to do this, there's a right way of doing it. And there's a kinsman redeemer above me. Let me go talk to him. Right? He protects her in that moment because that's a dangerous situation she's in, dressed like that among those men who are drunk. Um, yeah, so, so allow, allow people to be broken. All right, real quickly, some application I just, I just want to throw out there. Um, so next week, we'll probably look at the first six verses of chapter three, and then, and then we're into the judges. Uh, um, I didn't think there was much in the opening of chapter three, but my goodness, there's a lot. It's funny how the Bible works that way. First thing, idolatry is irrational. Uh, this is why the Bible loves the word fool. Uh, faith leads to wisdom. And so when you have wrong faith, you will get foolishness. Um, you need to understand sin is always irrational. Sin is, is the choice of fools. And that we rationalize it in our head. How many people have ruined marriages? And, and then, and then if, you, if you just let them talk, and then, and then they will soon realize that they were irrational. The choices they made made no sense. You really thought going down this path was going to improve your marriage? you really thought swinging your fist was going to solve the conflict? Idolatry is irrational, and it seduces us into buying into irrational things. We know that sex, money, power, fame, ease, rest will betray us, but we keep going back after them time after time after time again. Lust never secures love. Bitterness never secures peace. Greed never secures contentment. Anxiety never secures joy, but we keep going after them nonetheless. The gospel fixed that. Notice, uh, secondly, God's anger is motivated by love. We struggle with the idea of God's anger, um, but um, it is, I think, a lie from hell that makes anger the opposite of love. Apathy is the opposite of love, indifference. If you have a couple fighting, there's hope for that marriage. You have a couple who just throw up their hands and couldn't care less, that marriage is practically over with. Anger is not the opposite of love. Now, in our culture, we've told ourselves that because anger implies you don't accept someone. Like, I get angry at my teams I coach all the time because they're not playing to their potential. You're better than this. Now, if I'm apathetic about it, I'm saying I do not care about your well-being. I don't care if you, if you succeed. That's not good. Anger and jealousy are rooted in love. This is why we, we read... Uh, Oh, I didn't put that verse up here. Exodus 34, 14, verse quoted all the time. Uh, you shall worship no other God for the Lord whose name is jealous. His name is jealous. Then it says he is a jealous God. Jealousy is motive. So, so if some guy wants to hit on my wife, yeah, I'm gonna be jealous because I know she has better options out there, right? I mean, we, we all know that, but, but, but it is rooted in love. I, I, I don't wanna lose her, right? And I'm gonna work to see to it that I'm at least gonna fool her enough that thinks she couldn't do better. You know, yeah. Um, but jealousy. By the way, Oprah abandoned Christianity because of the idea of God is jealous. You want to talk about irrational nonsense? Yeah. Anyways, uh, thirdly, God's love is relentless love. If you don't believe me? Read the Book of Judges. Um, God's patience towards him is astounding. This is a fatherly love. This is a the story of the prodigal son told over and over again. Uh, Israel runs away and, and God is there waiting, waiting, waiting. And then at their first cry, he goes and, and pursues them. He delivers them. And then he just, they just run away again. And, and this is the story of the prodigal son um, in the Old Testament. Uh, fourthly, holiness requires the smashing of idols. Uh, too often we try to manage our idolatry and sin or still to keep it within arm's distance. This is, this is a challenge. One of the things you'll find people trying to break addiction when the best things they could do is get rid of it in the house. Cigarettes, alcohol, Coca-Colas. Right? I'm guilty of this. Whenever I try to break my Coke habit, um, one of the things I'll do is say, well, I've already bought the 12 pack. Let me finish it first. And with each passing can of Coke, I'm telling myself one less to go and then I'm done. Right? Now, that's me just being a terrible person. But, but you know, that's funny if you're doing Cokes. It's another thing if it's you know binging on alcohol or drugs or something. But there is something about Getting rid of that stuff. Light it on fire. Yeah. American prayer. <clears throat> God, take this sin away from me, but not on Tuesdays because I enjoy it. Yeah, there's a, <laughs> there's a great quote. I think was Augustine. Um, <laughs> Lord, keep me from sinning, but not today. Yes. Or something like that. Um, that, that is an that is American way of, of thinking. Um, is, is We want to know that if, if I want to, it's, it's still there. I, I, I can prove this to you. How many of us right now need to get rid of our smartphones? Mean what? Our smartphones. Bad. Our smartphones, oh, iPhones, and stuff like that. Get rid of them. Oh, I guarantee Kemp could, because uh, he's the only smart one here, right? Uh, I didn't go down to the youth right now. His phone's not smart either. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but go down to the youth right now. Tell them to do that. I see. No communication. No communication. Yeah, we 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 have a no phone policy. Now there are times when when it's uh, you know if we're planning out our week, what time is that Friday? Let me go over. I usually charge my phone often, you know, and I say, okay, it's Friday, five o'clock, something like that. Uh, those are that that because in that context, it's actually enhancing the conversation we're having. But but um, or hey, you know, ten years ago, this came up on Facebook. You're, you used to be a cute kid, what happened to you? We may do something like that, but it's but, you know, just no phone stuff because you gotta, you gotta be able to, to communicate. But if your phone is causing you to sin, you should get rid of it. This is uh, cut off the right hand. Jesus used Jesus' sermon in the mouth. How many people are willing to do it? Hardly anyone. We, 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 we wanna keep it just within arm's distance because we convince ourselves that we are strong enough to control it, but you're so weak, you, you're already a slave to it. Now, a phone is just one example. Um, it, it could be a thousand things. Um, there's some people they could change jobs to get away from a certain temptress. You would do better, right, making less money, for the sake of your marriage, if you just got away from that situation. But we value money, so I'll risk my marriage for the sake of the mighty dollar. I was trained to not be a salesman. And I didn't like the answers, so I quit. Yeah, yeah. And, and those are hard decisions what, what to make. I couldn't sell, it was just the, I didn't Withholding information. Right, right. So if you want a biblical example of this, there, there are hundreds I could give you, or at least dozens. Here is Josiah uh, destroying all the altars. If there was a pagan altar, it's gone. No questions asked. Get rid of it. Um, because our hearts are wicked. Uh, Calvin, John Calvin described it as idol-making factories. We are naturally geared towards idols. And unless they are crushed and destroyed that temptation will remain there. It will will remain there. Um, The last thing I I want us to see is that leadership does matter. Um, Verse 19 again, but whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. Notice there a decline in leadership. By the way, all the great empires, what destroyed them was a decline in quality leadership. Remember that in 2024. Um, this, this is a problem of all the great empires. If you ever read the, the Roman world, uh, you have a series of such terrible Caesars. It was only because of basically their form of government and culture and military might that they were able to sustain themselves. I mean, they have terrible leaders. Nero is a... Bizarre dude who had his own mother killed. as it Claudius who tried to appoint his horse a senator? I mean, just bizarre things. Um, the, the bad guy in uh, Gladiator, you know, the guy, you know, he didn't actually uh, kill Marcus Aurelius, but uh, that guy in real life was terrible, incompetent, terrible. Um, so, so you start to see a decline in leadership, um, and we get that in Judges. Godly leadership matters for the good of any organization, family, or nation. Godly leadership matters. Godly leadership matters. And often we want to compromise the godly part because we buy into all the slogans. Um, And we we really got to be careful with that because that's a form of compromise. Uh, We are expecting godliness from the ungodly. And best of luck of of that. Okay, we'll stop there. Um, Next week we'll pick up in chapter 3. And then after that, um, we'll look at Othniel, who we've already been introduced to in chapter one. So um, anyways, um, how about uh, Don Lewis, will you close us out in prayer?